This podcast was recorded in a Zoom meeting with the Hartford Street Zen Center Sangha. Please visit hszc.org for information about how to join our online programs or to make a contribution. We depend on the generosity of our members and supporters, especially during this challenging time. Thank you. Uh, earlier uh, this morning at the uh, breakfast table, I started to make some um, not entirely uh, respectful remarks about um, uh, some um, fellow members of the uh, global sangha um, and I was I was trying to avoid any disrespect and just uh, express what I thought I had seen but it was it was pretty difficult so I, I kind of gave up. keeps uh, coming back. Um, I don't think any of you uh, were uh, fortunate enough to meet uh, Suzuki Roshi. I did have that opportunity, and um, um, the the one time I had a, a dokusan with him, I. Uh, Basically, I wasn't entitled to really, but things were were much uh, less formal in those days. Uh, that was what was that? 1971, um, and so it was kind of it was easier to sort of move around. So I just called up one day and said, um, oh no, it was 70, I beg your pardon. Uh, so I said, I had uh, had a zazen practice for a couple of years. And could I, could I uh, talk to the teacher about it? And I was actually exaggerating. 
So I think that was probably maybe September, October of 1970, and I had begun in practice in, in January or February of 69. So I was amplifying my experience a little bit. But anyway, they said, yeah, okay, and uh, gave me an appointment. And uh, well, obviously, I think it's probably clear that I have some fondness for these memories. So please excuse me. It's like uh, making your guests look at the photos of your vacation, which I apologize for. But anyway, uh, as I said, things weren't so formal. So I, I went to with the place on Page Street was uh, relatively new. And uh, the Buddha Hall there, the big Buddha Hall in front was full of living room furniture, including a grand piano. And I had I had come to the city with some friends, so they all hung out in the living room there. And I went up to see Suzuki Roshi, a uh, very, very sweet older woman named Pat Harishoff was the Jisha. And she introduced herself, she says, oh, I'm Roshi's Jisha. And I thought I heard, I said, what? You know, I didn't say anything, but I, I didn't catch the word at that time. But anyway, she was the lady to follow. So I followed her up and she, um, she goes to the, the uh, abbot's door, which I don't know if it's still the abbot's door, but it was for many years, and rings this handbell that was there. And uh, we hear the, hear, and then there's nothing, doesn't hear anything, so she rings it again. And we hear the toilet flush. So this is the little bathroom that's um, between the tea room and uh, what would one day be the Dokusan room. And finally the door opens and uh, I was kind of looking where I normally look. And there was this tiny little person there. So I had to go stare down and he, you know, he said hello and he led us down the hall to uh, one of the little smaller rooms there on the hallway. And we sat and had a lovely chat. And um, the reason I'm mentioning it now is because uh, somehow this came up at the breakfast table that um, Sometimes uh, Dharma practice s seems to become a um, like a very uh, heavy and flashy garment that that people wear. And, I, I said something about, I felt like this was kind of common with a particular flavor of practitioner. And um, 
after Suzuki Roshi died, his successor, uh, Reverend Zentatsu Baker, for uh, quite a few years, he was he was kind of like Suzuki Roshi in a way. He was very unassuming, uh, quite modest. And those of you maybe who only knew him in later years may be skeptical, but it is so. And quite uh, gentle. And my impression is that over the years, as maybe is almost inevitable, the um, the force of the um, pro projected environment that we were, we probably couldn't help but create in those days, changed him. such that he, he kind of came to wear those projections. As a sort of flashy garment. Now he, he was my teacher for 13 years. So that was nothing at the time that I you know, noticed or thought shouldn't happen or something. And, and even now, I'm not saying it shouldn't happen. It's just that I, when I remember Suzuki Roshi, the difference is so striking. And whereas we could say, well, you know, it's just because Suzuki Roshi was such and such a way and this other person was another way so forth, but I'm actually not so sure. Uh, as you may know, uh, Sizigurashi's uh, successor, um, found himself uh, unable to uh, join in the practice at the monastery that Suzuki Roshi had asked him to attend in Japan. And I, I, I really, I can't blame him particularly. Uh, you know, that was AAG, uh, one of the, the two, you know, sort of capital monasteries of the uh, school. And they were not interested at all in making any accommodations for Westerners, even a very, very, very tall kind of gangly Westerner like Zentatsu. So I don't know how long he was there, but not all that long. And he finally telephoned Suzuki Roshi and said, well, I'm out of here. Suzuki Roshi's like, well, wait a sec, um, do you know how many strings I had to pull to get you in there? Yeah, well, you know, can't hack it. It's just, it's just too weird. 
And so Suzuki Roshi said, oh, well, what are you going to do? And Zentatsu said, well, I, I have these friends in Kyoto, and they have a house right next to uh, Daitokuji, which is a you know, big monastic compound in Kyoto. And Suzuki <laughs> says, oh, Rinzai School. Zentatsu's <laughs> like, uh, yeah. Oh, you, you're, you're going to sit with them. Yeah, well, they said uh, I could sit in one of the sodos, you know, a, a compound like that has many temples and lots of practice halls. And one of them said, okay, well, you're not one of our monks, but you can come sit with us. And so that's what he did. He went to, back to Kyoto and went to Daitokuji and sat Rinzai style with these guys. And he did not return to California until Suzuki Roshi was quite sick. And uh, Zentatsu had to come back because he was going to be the next abbot. And he was going to receive Dharma transmission from Suzuki Roshi. So he returned from Japan with uh, a certain quality to his practice that could be traced back to that Rinzai Soto, Sodo in Kyoto. And this affected his teaching in a way that, again, in those days, I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't mind, I thought it was okay. So he had, he had some people you know, if they wanted to do Watto practice, that is koan introspection, which included me for a while, that was okay. They did that. And periodically he would invite uh, people that he met in Japan. If they were coming to the West, he would invite them and they would come and give a talk like at Zen Center. And at one point he invited the successor of a very famous and, and I, I think much beloved Rinzai teacher, Yamada Mumon Roshi, uh, who's, uh, once he died, his successor was uh, Taitsu Kono Roshi. He invited him to come and give a talk. And so as usual, we were, this was at uh, Page Street and we were sitting there in what was by then the Buddha Hall in front and uh, in, I'm not sure, uh, one of the things that Sentatsu imported from the Rinzai school was uh, a uh, style of drumming on the big uh, uh, drum that was downstairs uh, to introduce a Dharma talk. So it was called the Teisho drum. Teisho is the formal term or a Dharma talk. Uh, and I don't know if they were doing that. They were definitely doing that at Tassajara. I'm not sure if they were doing that at Page Street, but anyway, they went through this little rigmarole and in comes Taitsukuno Roshi. And I, I, yes, this is retrospective, of course, 
but there was a certain air about him, let's say, of, I guess, what I would call extreme elegance and elegance, elegance and confidence. He was rather tall, very upright, very sort of flat and severe look. And I don't remember if he did prostrations like we usually do. Or anyway, he, he sat down and, and talked a bit about how he'd been to Europe also and been to a number of quite ancient and long established monastic communities in Europe. Uh, and I'm sure he visited Buddhist places, but he visited uh, uh, you know, uh, the Cistercian, uh, Cistercians of the Strict Observance, and um, maybe even the, um, I don't know if he saw the Carthusians or not. They probably weren't interested in having him visit. But anyway, he said that, uh, you know, he was happy to see those places, but he said they had nothing to teach me. And whatever else he said in that Dharma talk, that is the only thing that stuck in my mind. And I don't know why, it just sort of stayed there over the years, you know, getting kind of dried and shriveled like me. And it became more and more to feel like I wasn't going to use the word arrogant, but that was a very good word that uh, Ty mentioned. And it came to feel like arrogance. Now, I, I have been to some uh, monastic communities and it's true, I was raised Roman Catholic, so I was kind of familiar with the circumstances, but to say that such a place would have nothing to teach me, I could not, I could not speak those words. And the reason I'm mentioning this now is, uh, I had a uh, kind of a, uh, a little disagreement with uh, a Sangha member recently. And um, this Sangha member wants, uh, you know, we're, we'll, we'll make an appointment. And the Sangha member, I think, wants to complain about me. So I said, okay, my, my teacher has more or less directed us to be available to be complained at if people want to do that. So it's like, okay. Um, but I was reflecting with a certain amount of pain that 
what the person was going to complain about, I was pretty sure. Uh, from my point of view, didn't amount to anything at all. It, it, um, what it uh, was an occasion where I, I don't know, I don't know what, I dared to show just a slightly critical attitude about something. And that was enough to like set off this uh, reaction, which amounted to reminding me that I really wasn't entitled to do anything like that. And that, you know, any, any criticism or correction had, had better, you know, pass muster beforehand, like prior restraint or something. And it was very painful for me because I, I wasn't trying to be mean or dismissive or disrespectful. But as I reflected on this, I was remembering what Suzuki Roshi was like. And of course, I am not Suzuki Roshi, and I never forget that, believe me. But I, I once heard our founder, whose memorial we will have in a few minutes, say, say uh, about Suzuki Roshi, that uh, this was, you know, probably, probably not that long, it was late 60s, maybe not all that long before Suzuki Roshi fell ill. He said, uh, Suzuki Roshi was, quote, barely there at all. And he didn't mean, wasn't at the temple. meant that when you went to see him, it was like there was barely anybody there. And that was not a criticism. And that actually, when, when I heard Isan say that, that rang a bell and I thought, yeah, he's right. And that was such a stark contrast with uh, some other figures I have encountered in the Dharma world who were, how shall I say, abundantly there. And for whom that was kind of part of their, I don't know, presentation of the Dharma was this rather 
expansive personality. And this sort of expansive phenomenon, Suzuki Roshi's successor came to emulate, I don't, I'm sure it wasn't deliberate, in later years. So I, I've been thinking about this and uh, yesterday morning, uh, uh, attended a, a Zoominar with uh, my teacher and some of the, his senior students. Uh, usually they meet, or we meet every uh, Friday morning. And my teacher was um, telling a, a story about uh, a guy uh, named uh, John Steiner, whom I don't quite remember. I don't think I, I met him or, or just in passing. And this was, uh, this was from when Zen Center was still at Sokoji Temple in Japantown. So this is way back. And um, uh, Suzuki Roshi was giving a Dharma talk. And uh, there were, as usual, there were uh, questions and answers at the end. And I, I think the room was fairly full. And uh, someone at the back, as, as uh, Reb remembers it, maybe a rather, rather young person, the back asked a question, and Zikiros, you didn't, didn't quite hear, or didn't quite understand. So John Steiner, who was at the front, repeated it and said, uh, He asks, um, uh, like, why, why aren't we out protesting the war? So this would have been, you know, the, I don't know, middle to late 60s when there was a lot of that going on. Uh, so Suzuki uh, so Roshi doesn't say anything. But he gets up and he uh, he takes his stick and goes he goes over to poor John and starts whacking him and saying, "You fool! Don't you know what we're doing here?" Whack, whack. And then he goes back and sits down and doesn't say anything more about that question. So, you know, I thought, and, you know, nobody, as far as I know, nobody got up in a huff and ran out.
there were there were some other instances where Suzuki Roshi had some uh, pungent behaviors that involved whacking people with sticks. <laughs> and as far as I know, nobody ever, you know, said, well, how dare you, and, and left. And I think that because he was, as the son said, basically, mostly kind of not there at all, he could do this and people would not object. Uh, Reb also said, uh, I don't know, I guess maybe they were, oh, I know it was a, it was a, uh, a, uh, a Chosan, a tea, a formal tea with the teacher. She was live and um, uh, people were sitting there, I guess Reb had come in a little late. And so they were, he was arranging cushions and Steve Weintraub, was already seated somewhere near Suzuki Roshi. And uh, Ram has, a, I think, a Zafu or something. And he he uh, takes his foot and kind of readjusts, pushes one of the other uh, Zabutons in alignment. And Suzuki Roshi turns to, to Steve Weintraub and says, we do not move cushions with our feet. <laughs> Steve. I just sat there. <laughs> Steve was not the one moving the cushion. And because she not infrequently did this. This is a rather Japanese thing. It's like, well, depending on circumstances, you don't yell at the person who just did it. You yell at someone else who is, you know, pretty stable and can basically be there for that. But again, no one, Steve did not get up and run out and neither did Reb. So I guess, what is the point here? The point is, I don't know if my uh, practice will ever uh, advance, I guess we could say, to the point where I'm barely there. But I, I do want to say that that's my vow. And that while there is no particular way to do that, it's like, we well, don't, you know, you don't practice in such and such a way so that you won't ever be there at all. It's just that our, our practice, the practice of the Buddha way has that effect, let's put it that way, of attenuating the coarsest aspects of the person so that they become, you know, gossamer fabric waving in the breeze rather than a, a series of brick walls that people run into. So about all I can offer now is that I used to be worse, actually. When I, I first came to Harper Street, I thought people would let me get away with a lot of things. So I did a lot more yelling. I didn't hit people. I don't remember hitting anybody ever. 
And I used to, I would sometimes object strenuously to certain goings on or something. And occasionally someone would run away and it shocked the hell out of me. And now I think, well, I think it's because I was, I was wearing something. I had arrived wearing something. And for a long time, it just seemed like confidence. And it wasn't self-confidence, really. It was confidence in the Buddha way. But I think maybe, you know, if people see even, you know, in, not exactly an awareness that someone's wearing something, you know, they can't do certain things because it will come across as, you know, an affront. And in fact, as time went on, Santatsu Baker would do certain things and people would leave. Now, I don't know anymore. Maybe he is once again in a place where he's barely there. But I guess I would just, I'm just cautioning myself and, and all of us not to conclude from, you know, observing the Dharma world in certain ways that an expansive presence is necessarily a manifestation of Dharma practice. And there are certain corners of the Dharma world where uh, that seems to be, you know, kind of a hallmark of the successful practitioner. So I'm just renewing my vow to um, continue practice and hopefully to be there less and less in whatever time remains. <laughs> so now I think I should apologize for talking about myself too much. Some people might say, well, Esan had a real presence. Yes, he did, but his presence was also like gossamer fabric, not brick walls. As far as I knew it, let's put it that way. So I, I hope we uh, will continue to practice together and, and I hope that before too long, we can actually share a physical space, practice space, and
you know, allow the, uh, the subtle awareness that comes from practice, which we cannot possess, okay? Allow that to animate our lives. This morning in, in Zazen, I was having a difficult time in that I was feeling unwell and unhappy. And uh, so I, you know, just so to speak, returned to the practice of uh, following the stream to the source. And um, There was a, um, I don't know, a uh, what, uh, sense, a moment or moments where it became clear that it is all source. It was a great relief. So um, please uh, be encouraged in your practice and if uh, anything I've been saying is in fact discouraging uh, to you, Please, um, I invite you to uh, comment or question now, if you like. Yeah. Yes. Uh, what was going to say? So, uh, hitting people, screaming and yelling. Uh, what's the point? And what other different that than ordinary violence? Well, and what, what it has to do with being barely there. Mm -hmm. I just don't really connect the dots. Well, that was what was so remarkable was huh? that he could do that and not have people react as though it were ordinary violence. They just didn't. Because from him, it was not. Well, people just simply froze. Yeah, that's not no. how it was described. Okay. No. Um, uh, for it to be ordinary violence, there would have to have been someone committing the violence and a victim, and those were not present. So the point was, um, you know, here's Suzuki from a certain Japanese practice background encountering Americans who, especially in those days, knew nothing about practice and whom he experienced as, oh, very, very rough edges, not smooth at all, uh, moving things with their feet, uh, not bathing, uh, uh, d disrespecting furniture and, and dishes and stuff. How do I, you know, 
maybe, you know, he didn't, I'm quite sure he did not say to himself, well, I think now I'm going to get up and hit that guy. He just did it. This was a reaction to his probably some bodily sense that there was still, there was a certain resistance from the American audience. It's like, okay, now push. And he pushed and people just gave way instead of pushing back, which is what the react, natural reaction and the necessary reaction to the violence, I would say. Now, I'm not arguing with Jesus. I think he was quite right, but sometimes you say no. So I guess I would say that's the difference. And for someone to be able to do that, they have to be barely there. Because if the, the person is coming forward with a violent gesture like that, then the reaction will be, no, stop that, get away. So this is my impression anyway. And my distinct impression of Suzuki Roshi was, by golly, you know, if I, I'm not sure if I reach out and touch him, my hand might go right through. <laughs> he also apparently did uh, engage in some uh, anti-war protests in Japan. And that was extremely dangerous. And eventually he said, apparently he gave up because he said it was going absolutely nowhere. People were being arrested and executed and I did not want to Con contribute to that. So he stopped and instead he met with people in private. So when the person asked about why aren't we out marching, he had some experience of his own. And then uh, oh, 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 Reb also said that uh, one afternoon, one evening, you know, 5.30 in, in the evening over at uh, Page Street, uh, Reb went to the Zendo and there was nobody there except Suzuki Roshi. So they sat Zazen together and I guess did the little service. And then afterwards, Reb, who had been doing something else, said, where is everybody? And uh, Suzuki Roshi said, oh, they're at a protest. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so <laughs> there it is. Shindo-san. Good morning. Um, I, I really appreciated this talk and I, I found it very helpful and inspiring. And um, I, I wonder if you have a sense of how things have changed because it seems like recently in the last few years um, in kind of the mainstream of Americans and it seems like the attitude to be that if you're not out there punching Nazi literally or figuratively, then you're not really reliable practitioner or shouldn't be on a platform. And uh, I find that really hard. <laughs> and uh, I is, uh, it seems like a new development to me, but I mean, what perspective is on that. Um, uh, the, the reception's a little, Choppy. So, so did did you say if you're not? No, wait. If if you are out there punching Nazis or not? If you're not, if you're not um, out there punching Nazis. 
if you're not being very aggressive and vocal with your ideological stances, uh, then, you know, people don't really want to listen. And you, you see that as a, like a, a, a change that's relatively recent? It seems recent to me, but I, but I wonder how you see that. Well, uh, for me, there's, that's the whole conundrum of engaged Buddhism, which is the term people like to use nowadays. Um, and I think a great many people feel that if, if you're not engaged in various things, in various ways, then um, uh, you're you know, maybe your practice is not so good or your, your understanding of Dharma is not so good. And, um, well, I, I must say, I don't have that impression. And the issue for me with engaged Buddhism is, uh, Where are you coming from when you are, you know, engaging? And is your experience of Dharma practice enough, you know, deep enough and rooted enough so that you can engage without stimulating uh, rivers of kleshas, right, of obscuring and obstructing phenomena. Now, I guess some people can do that. And that's pretty impressive. But I rather think uh, there, there are many, many, many more people who are engaged, and they don't necessarily have that uh, what the they are still likely to be moved in the river of glaciers. And that, of course, is dangerous, both for them and for others. So, well, I, I will not inveigh against engaged Buddhism. I would say, okay, where are you coming from? Are you actually rooted in the Buddha way? Or is it too soon for that kind of work to be happening in the way that it's happening? Now, it's relatively straightforward when you are like writing letters, maybe, maybe even knocking on doors or something. But there are many circumstances where klesha uh, will meet klesha, and then the energy generated will simply lead to more suffering on all sides. And that has to be avoided. So I, and I confess that my background is, you know, pretty, uh, I guess I would say it was pretty monastic. So the, I felt the need for considerable, you might say, retreat. And that's not the case for everyone. 
but it was the case for me. And I think to myself sometimes, I had made a little note about the talk this morning and I, I wrote a note like, uh, if I had not um, made some considerable and unrecoverable sacrifices in order to practice in that way, would I ever have been able to say, oh, by golly, it's all source. And I don't think so. Again, it's not the same for everyone, but it is so, it was so for me. So sometimes when I am feeling more than usual, sorry for myself, sort of, sort of poor and downtrodden and, and uh, having thoroughly escaped fame and gain as Dogen suggested, <laughs> I remind myself, you had to do that. There wasn't another way for you, buddy. I don't know if I spoke to your question sufficiently. Okay, well, uh, it's almost quarter past 11. So if, if there's one more question or comment, that's okay. And then we'll just do our little ceremony here. It's, it's very short. I see a dog. Okay. Uh, I see uh, Janos, who was going to be out of town and is not. So welcome, Janos. Okay. Oh, did you uh, say just a, a comment. Well, yes, I, I was, and I'll be out of town next weekend. Oh, next. Um, oh, was someone else speaking? No, that's okay. Okay, so thank you for uh, the Dharma talk, and I, I relish some of the history of which you spoke that um, um, I don't have of sort of the idiosyncratic history to hear about sort of the progression of uh, the Dharma transmission, um, to our temple, so thank you for sharing that. What I was moved with is sort of this psychological projection that I uh, into of seeing, oh, you know, this, this teacher, you know, certainly must have uh, the, uh, an aspect of the Buddha, uh, Dharma that is missing because they are of such notoriety. And I like what you're saying is the, am I feeling the presence of someone's a grandeur or uh, their notoriety or is it more just being in touch with the source of what I experience around them, you say, of, of not having a lot of ego, 
Um, uh, and that was, that was very moving and, and insightful a reminder. Um, at the same time, I, 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 I still wrestle with the part where, you know, there is abuse. Unfortunately, that happens in power structures. And, you know, when do you speak up and say, you know, this, I just have to say my truth is that, you know, truth to power. So, so uh, prevalent now. It's like saying this seems like uh, uh, inappropriate behavior or criticism or, you know, uh, so it's, it's, it's uh, wrestle. And I hear where you're saying like Suzuki Roshi hitting with the stick, but the visual of it seems so violent. And yet clearly if someone, know, you know, just did not feel that violence, uh, there, it, it's not what it was intended. So, uh, gosh, you know, it's, it's um, wrestling with our own projections rather than kind of just being present to the source. That is uh, an ongoing process, you know, of my uh, development. Here. Yeah. Uh, well, mine too. Um, and, I, you know, I just, I vow to keep doing that with everyone. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much.